Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan, and welcome to Episode 60 of the RTM Podcast and Episode 27 of our current season, Number 2. Christianity, at its core, is restored fellowship with God, and that's what we're presently exploring, how to have and maintain fellowship with God, and no better place in Scripture to understand this topic than the Apostle John's first epistle. John states within the opening verses that his purpose of writing was for fellowship with God. He says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As you can see, the heartbeat and passion of John is that his readers would have fellowship with the Lord God. And in the previous two episodes... We've discussed that because you and I are not part of that elited original group called the Apostles, that does not preclude us from experiencing the same kind of spiritual fellowship that the Apostles had. I say spiritual fellowship because after Jesus ascended back to heaven, he was no longer on earth in physical or bodily form. He maintained his humanity and therefore still has a human body, albeit a glorified body. However, he's not in bodily form here on the earth. He's in heaven. Therefore, the only kind of fellowship available to the apostles after Christ's ascension is the same kind available to us, and that is spiritual fellowship. We don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, by faith. Our fellowship with our Lord Jesus is spiritual but no less real than if he bodily appeared to us, and it's no less real than the spiritual fellowship the apostles enjoyed. Another thing I want to remind you of from previous episodes on this topic is that this spiritual fellowship is a relationship with the truth. When John talks about walking in the light, he means for you to understand that it means walking in truth the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel. That doesn't mean you simply believe the core doctrines of the gospel or even secondary gospel truths. It means you so believe them that you allow them to be your guiding light. You walk in them, hence you walk in the light. It is this delight in the truth that fuels a holy transparency. You sincerely want the truth or the light to shine its penetrating light deep into your heart and expose any errors, sins, and unchristlike agendas. It was this kind of transparency that caused David to pray in Psalm 19, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. 
He wanted God to open and reveal that part of his heart that his own self-deception kept hidden. And that's what it means to have a relationship with the truth. You live before it as the great light of God, not only guiding you as light does, but uncovering the hidden parts of your heart. John also has another powerful idea behind the words, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. It also means we are in agreement with God. We agree with the Lord that what he says is true and good is just that. It is right. It is valuable. It's virtuous. It is indeed our good to walk in agreement with God. Amos the prophet asked the logical question, how can two walk together unless they be agreed to walk with God? Well, it requires you must agree with him. But to walk with God, we must also be in proximity to him. We must be in close contact with him and he with us. If you and I proposed to travel together, but I went west and you went east, how much fellowship would take place? <laughs> none, none at all. To walk with God requires nearness to him. It's exactly what the psalmist said, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 verse 1. To abide under the shadow of someone is to be in close proximity to them. You're close enough that their shadow can fall upon you. That, my friend, is the secret place. It is the presence of God. But this is more than being in the presence of God, since every Christian dwells in the presence of God. For that matter, all men, saints and sinners, exist in the presence of God, because God is omnipresent. The psalmist speaks of something more specific. It is the conscious awareness of the presence of God. It is God's presence manifested. That's the secret place. And very few seem to know and experience it. It is to be one with God in a way that goes beyond merely theological understanding. To be in the secret place, to walk with God and to abide in His shadow is all language of sweet and intimate communion. And communion comes from the word union. It is to be in league, in vogue, in conformity with the desire and direction of God. Your heart beats as His. You share the same agenda as He. You pray for His will to be done, because it's your will as well. Now, such proximity and closeness may raise the objection. How can we walk in the light of God's blinding, staggering, sin-exposing, evil-consuming light? As stated earlier, it is true that God's light exposes our sins and weaknesses. Since we are not perfect in word, thought, or deed, we are infinitely less than God. Therefore, our corruption is a problem, and it carries the potentiality of disrupting fellowship with God. And on another thought, what would keep the light of God's perfection from being a constant discouragement, if not altogether stumbling block to us? I mean, how many want to walk with someone whose perfection always shows your imperfection? I remember hearing one of my church members saying to me years ago, 
that it was hard to walk with a man that seemed to be perfect. Now, he knew no one was perfect, but there are men whose lives are so mature that they seem to us to be almost near perfect, and it can be intimidating to be near them. You become so self-conscious of your shortcomings that you can't enjoy being near them. But we're not talking about walking with a very holy man, but with a perfectly holy God. How then can we enjoy such fellowship if we're always being reminded of our sinfulness? Well, let's look closer at John's words. John gives us a huge hint. I'm not sure you can even say it's a hint because it's so obvious. Whatever this verse 7 means, we can say the basis of it is the blood of Jesus Christ, the dear Son of God. John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. We ought to die. For we're the guilty ones. You and I are the offspring of our father's rebellion. We're the bloody savages of all cruelty. And therefore, the knife of sacrifice ought to have been plunged deep into our hearts. There's only one penalty, death. The soul that sins shall surely die. But here, here the text draws our attention to another's death. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus' blood, was shed, and that synonymous was saying Jesus died, and somehow his death has a continual effect. Now, what does this mean? Well, I would say it's the same as the Passover lamb. For bondage in Egypt to end, a new life to begin, a life had to die. Those for whom the Paschal lamb was slaughtered lived and left Egypt. For whom there was no death, they died and did not escape Egypt. If you had a death, you lived. If there was no death, you would die. In other words, if no lamb were killed, there would be a death in the family. The oldest child would die. But if the lamb was slain and its blood sprinkled upon the door, as Moses instructed, then the child's life would be preserved, and the next morning he or she could leave Egypt, a free person. The good news is this. Christ, the Holy Lamb of God, was killed for us and in our place. Who is this bleeding one on the cross? Truly, it is the Holy One, the thrice Holy God, whose angels covered their eyes lest they look upon Him. As He hung upon the cross, the sun closed its eyes and refused to give light to the greatest evil perpetrated. It was too ashamed to shine. The great light of the midday sky grew dark as man's cruel hatred snuffed out the light of the world. But even though darkness settled on the sacrificial mount, I pray you do your best to look and see him there on Calvary's cross. Why? Why is he nailed to the tree? What was the crime that would place him on the cross? Well, they say it was because he made himself equal to God. The charge was blasphemy. But how can it be so if he is the Son of God? God of God is he. He didn't lie. His words were true. Before Abraham was, I am. This is God, and this is man, the God-man Christ Jesus. He's numbered among the transgressors, yet he's innocent, free of sin. He is the spotless Lamb of God. So, my friend, why is he there condemned as a common criminal? 
It's because God was working your redemption. The great high priest God himself was at work on this day of atonement. As a faithful priest, he placed his hands upon the head of this sacrifice. He transferred your guilt, your sins, your darkness to his bleeding head. And then he slew the substitutionary and sacrificial sacrifice, took his blood and sprinkled it upon his heavenly throne, and our sins, like the scapegoat, were led away from us, never, ever to be seen nor remembered. Beloved, this is the whole basis of our great doctrine, justification by faith. His death was a death for all our sins. It is by his death that we've been brought near to God and can abide under his shadow. In Christ, we have received a death that we may live. And now we live, we can live in close proximity with our God. We can be agreed and together we can walk in fellowship. But that leads to another question that could also serve as an objection or at the very least a cause of great confusion. Definitely, Jesus is our sacrifice, and he paid the penalty of our sin. But that doesn't whitewash our offenses or condone present sin. How can we walk in the light and have present sin? How can we have present sin and still have fellowship with God? How can you be in a proper relationship with the truth and at the same time violate truth? The Apostle John says, and I quote it again, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now notice the tense of John's words. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us. That's present tense from all sin. So the blood is presently cleansing of present sin. But how? How can you have present sin and be walking with God? How can you be in the light of the truth if you're not presently doing the truth? Do you see the dilemma? Doesn't sin disrupt fellowship with God? How can we have present tense sin and still be in the light? Certainly, John does not agree with the antinomian, the cheap grace purveyor who believes grace manages our sins so that we can live as sinful as we want and still die and go to heaven. No, surely this is not John's meaning. For years, I heard preachers and teachers declare that sin disrupts fellowship with God. But here, according to John, sin does not disrupt fellowship. Now, wait, don't turn off the podcast. Let me finish. Sin cannot disrupt fellowship for the true Christian if they are walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his sin cleanses, present tense, from all sin, the sin that John is talking about is occurring while you're walking in the light and at the same time, you're having fellowship with God. Now, how 
can this be? Well, the answer's not difficult to see. Walking in the light and having concurrent sin can only mean that while the Lord and you are in agreement, temptation occurs, and for the moment you take your eyes off of your companion, the Lord Jesus, and as a result you sin. But that sin does not disrupt the fellowship if if you continue to agree with God. Verse 9 tells us what verse 7 is saying. It explains it. If we agree with God about our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? Exactly what He says in verse 7, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The key is the first part of verse 9. If we confess our sins. The word confess means to agree or to say the same thing. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. And so, walking in the light or in the truth is that when we sin, we recognize it for what it is, and we agree with God and call it exactly what God calls it. But, Walking with God does not prevent temptation, and when it comes, and should you concede to it, the Word of God says that if you immediately confess and agree with God about your sin, the blood cleanses from the present sin. So you see, it's not sin that disrupts fellowship with God. It's unconfessed sin that disrupts. If we take the course of verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we don't take responsibility for our sin, confess it, agree with God about it, then we're no longer practicing the truth. This means we're no longer walking in the light. And, of course, that means we're not in fellowship with God. The sin that hinders fellowship is the sin that we refuse to agree with God about. Our fellowship with God is so necessary for our sensitivity to sin. It's walking in the light and the light showing us our imperfections that generates a seriousness about walking in holiness. The light shines and shows us things about us in the dark crevices where latent sin is hidden safe from exposure. Walking in the light of the truth of God brings to the surface things we would not otherwise see about ourselves. The key is, what do we do with those things when we finally do see them? What do you do when you can no longer honestly claim ignorance? That's what John is driving at. What do those in fellowship with God do about their sin? If they desire to maintain fellowship with God... Well, they confess the sin. They don't act like they cannot see it. The light's showing it for what it is. There's no hiding from this piercing, penetrating light. And so, because they desire to maintain their happy camaraderie with the Almighty, they agree with Him. It's even as the proverb states, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Well, I hope you're beginning to see how fellowship with God can be experienced and how it can be maintained. In our next episode, we deal with this first principle of maintaining fellowship with God in a much deeper way. But for today, let's just simply say the principle is keeping your sins confessed up to date.
Fellowship with God is preserved by keeping a short list of sins. As soon as you sin, confess it and agree with God that He's right about your sin. Sin is an act that can come between Him and you because He's light and in Him there is no darkness. And if you embrace your sin and will not deal with it as sin, then the shadows encroach and the light starts to dim. The longer you refuse to deal with it and agree with the Lord, the brilliance of the light fades. Eventually, you'll find yourself in a dark place. Oh, friend, don't let this happen. Well, more about this in our next episode. If you have any questions about today's broadcast, you can send your questions to us by email to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Please be back with us next week as we continue to discuss how to have and maintain fellowship with God. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening today, and may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.